The peace of Christ be with you. As we gather into this place, give yourself the gift of about three deep breaths to slow down, to allow your awareness to expand, to recognize the presence of the Spirit. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. So we invite you to join us on this intro. Barbara and I will sing it through once, and then we invite you to join in the second time. in body or spirit for the call to worship. Friends, our help is in the very one who made heaven and earth. We offer praise and pray for trust. God will not let your foot be moved, nor will God tire of watching you. We offer thanks and pray for guidance. God will keep your going out and your coming in. We journey with an awareness of this sacred presence. Seated. Again, welcome to worship this morning at Westminster. 
As our introit reminded us, this is where we come to let love find us, surprise us, and redesign us in the spirit together. Let's join together in our community prayer. Let us pray. God, you have promised to be with us. Help us to trust in that presence. Be unafraid to explore and venture out. Keep us mindful as well, and it is time to come back in, returning home. Forgive us our journeys. We take paths toward hurtful places and lead others astray and set us on a better way. Make us worthy companions of one another, and gracious givers and receivers of hospitality along the way. Amen. Our prayers continue in silence. Friends, if we walk in the light, we walk with him who also is the light, and we have fellowship with one another. Amen. Amen. I now want to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Hello, good morning. Good to see you guys. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. So those of you who are younger, say second, first grade and younger, um, this year during Sunday school, during your sacred stories time, at the end of sacred stories, you light a candle every time, right? And that candle, we say, is, represents the light of Christ. And I know you light the candle and you sit there for a little while, you might hear a Bible passage and see the candle, the light of Christ lit. But we can't leave a candle burning forever. That wouldn't be very safe. So I think what you guys do is you extinguish the candle and you say the light is now not just in one place, but in many places. Am I right? Is that what you guys do? Yeah. So you watch the smoke go and you think that the light of Christ isn't just contained here in this candle, but perhaps is everywhere. And you know, one of the places that that light of Christ shines is within each one of us. Just a little crazy to think about that there's some light of Christ shining in us. And I have to tell you, I think about it almost every night these days. My son Ben got a new retainer that he puts in his teeth just when he sleeps. And I didn't realize this, but his retainer glows in the dark. <laughs> and so it, you know, it sits in our bathroom all day, sort of getting light, getting light. And then he puts it in and we turn out the lights in his bedroom and there is this strange glow coming out of his mouth every night. A little strange, a little cool, I have to say. And, and I have to say, sometimes I'm like, there it is. It's the light of Christ glowing in his mouth. But that's not really how it works. So, but I've been thinking about what does that mean that the light of Christ is in us? What does it mean that we might shine that light out in the world and I'm thinking shining Christ's light or sharing God's love are probably very similar to, to each other. Like when we share something with someone that maybe we have and they don't, maybe that's shining the light of Christ. When we say a kind word to someone who might be in need of a kind word, maybe that's shining the light of Christ. So I encourage you as you all go to your Sunday school classes to think about how the story you hear today might encourage you to do something out in the world that shines the light of Christ that is already within you. We don't need a glow-in-the-dark retainer to show us that. It is just about how we live and how we relate to others, how we love others out in the world. You have a glowy mouth guard too. See, there you go. Kind of weird, kind of cool. But even without a glowy mouth guard, I invite you to shine God's light in the world. 
So I'm going to invite you to Sunday school. I see Mimi there waiting for the younger ones, and Virginia's going to be with the older ones of you. So go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the... So maybe our goal in the Christian life is to pray so well that we can shine even without a retainer. (laughs) So as we come to this uh, prayer time, take a moment to think about people who have been on your heart and in your mind lately, loved ones or friends or others who may be near or further away, and also to think about some situations or places in the world that have been, again, in your thoughts lately. And so there are a couple places in the prayer where I'll ask for people to just call out names or phrases that have been in your mind, and we will hold those together in the spirit. Why don't we begin with a a moment of silence? God, we are so glad that we can come and commune with you at any point in prayer, but especially here as a community, and bring our needs and our innermost thoughts and desires to you. We do pray for people who are in our minds, in our hearts, loved ones and friends and others who have some form of suffering or affliction, or lack of ease, and hear us now as we call out their names, Lord, hear us. And we pray for those who seek to heal affliction and reduce it, to step up with compassion to make a difference, we pray for them as well. On this Memorial Day, we remember those who have given their lives to defend us, to secure our freedoms, all those named and nameless dead. And we think of their families who also knew loss of sons, husbands, daughters, mothers, And as we remember their sacrifice, may we dedicate ourselves to defending liberty against tyranny in our time so that future generations will have the same freedoms that we inherited. We pray for places in this imperfect world which are afflicted by hatred, by war, by terror, and where your spirit seems lacking. Hear us as we name any of these places that are in our minds and hearts today. Lord, hear us. In our own society and here in Marin, we pray for the outcast and the overlooked who need our notice and our care and our compassion, we pray for them. We pray for those who are influential, whether here in our church or in our organizations or our society and country, in our politics. We pray for wisdom and balance, and we pray for our own empowerment that we each will do and contribute and influence as we can. We give thanks that we can bring our concerns to you, God, that your spirit encourages us and hears us always. We offer these prayers in the name of your son, Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Divine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. first reading today is Psalm 121. Let us listen for the Lord's intention. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. 
The Lord will keep you from all evil. She will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Acts chapter 16. During the night, Paul had a vision, and there stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, he immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district in Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman, Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theratira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me, To be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. In early April, the best-selling Christian author, New York Times best-selling author, Rachel Held Evans was hospitalized with an allergic reaction to an antibiotic she was taking for a rather routine infection. Now, she was in good enough health and in good enough spirits that she remained active on social media where she had a significant presence, even joking at one point, oh, I'm going to miss the next episode of Game of Thrones. But her reaction to the drugs became more serious in short order, and it quickly turned into seizures. And when the doctors couldn't stop the seizures, they turned to a medically induced coma to try to protect her brain until they could figure out what to do. They ended up transferring her to a couple of different facilities and trying several times to bring her safely out of that coma, but With each update online, things were looking worse and worse. Well, this sent shockwaves through at least some branches of the Christian family tree where Evans had been a very important voice. She'd grown up and had come through sort of a conservative evangelical background, and her blog and then later her books became a sounding board for people who struggled with that kind of faith. And people were so moved by what was happening that actually uh, a prayer chain request for her on Twitter trended nationally. And so if you know anything about Twitter, they group messages by what's called a hashtag. And so if you looked up pray for R-H-E, Rachel Held Evans, you would just see strings of people praying. And like so often in life, those prayers started as gentle supplications. Dear God, pray, please heal our sister, Rachel. Then they became a little bit more forceful and a little more direct. And finally, they were downright angry or scared. Please, Uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber, who you may or may not have read or encountered, is also an author, a Lutheran pastor, and quite a colorful figure, both in presentation and in her use of language. And at one point, she tweeted, we're not asking nicely anymore, God. (laughs) I saw more than one prayer with an expletive in it directed at the Almighty. 
but why not? Isn't real prayer rooted in honesty? So people were praying for her. And then the hashtag changed from pray for R-H-E, for R-H-E, to because of R-H-E. As the conversation shifted from asking for divine intervention to heal her to a very human set of testimony and remembrances of her. Because on May 4th, Rachel Held Evans died. She was 37. Two children, I believe under, under four, left behind. That's when it sort of hit me. And I'd never read a thing she'd written. Now, you may be wondering, what good are you as a pastor? You just told us how important she was, and you didn't bother with her. But the reality was, in her work, as I sort of judged from afar, she was wrestling with a lot of questions that weren't at the fore for me, and quite frankly, aren't at the fore for most of you, if I know you, like I think I do. She was instrumental for people, particularly women who'd grown up in a tradition that said only males can lead, and only males can lead in these kinds of roles. She was a key voice for those who fit in the LGBTQ community, who were told by their church of their upbringing that they were damned to hell for who God made them love. She was really important for people whose traditions didn't embrace basic scientific notions, seeing that as somehow counter to the faith, really significant to people who simply carried a little bit of doubt with them in their satchel on their faith journey or brought with them questions. For them, she was a sounding board and she could say things that they were afraid to say. And for many of them who are isolated from others who were wrestling with those things or couldn't be public about it, she was a veritable lifeline. We have plenty of issues here. I have plenty of my own, but those don't tend to be the kinds of issues we're still wrestling with. And yet, when I saw who it was paying tribute to her, who it was saying that she had radically affected the course of their life, I thought, I just have to hear more. And so one night, because of that, and because there were just too many Legos in the living room floor to go one day more, if, if you've ever stepped on a Lego barefoot, <laughs> I mean, right? If there is nothing else that can unite us in this country, So I downloaded an audiobook of one of her more recent books called uh, Searching for Sunday, Leaving, Loving, and Finding the Church, which is read, and in, in she's the narrator, which makes all the difference. And I started to listen. And she's got this wonderful southern accent. And even though she's younger than I am, it sort of felt mothering. And yet, here she was speaking to me from beyond the grave. And so there, piece by piece, I sorted. As I listened to her sort of lay out the pieces of her broken faith and try to reassemble them in some form that made sense. And this went on for hours. It was a really powerful testimony, and I got to see why she touched so many people. You'd read lines about other authors saying how she would reach out to them to encourage them along their journey. When you listen to her writing or you read her writing, you can see why it mattered so much. So as I alluded to at the outset, she obviously received all kinds of accolades. She uh, had enormous success, commercial success, but it didn't come without cost. Forgive me, double negative. She suffered mightily for the things she said from her, the community from which she came theologically. There was a significant amount of rejection, plenty of it that was nasty and personal. She could no longer fit in in those kinds of houses of worship, and she had to leave them. And eventually she and some friends founded their own church, little church, 
never uh, had more than 20 members, which isn't a sign of failure, by the way, but it is a sign of the struggle, how much work it was. And not long after, I think about a couple years later, it just kind of petered out, and they folded up exhausted, uh, broke, and probably on some level broken. And it was another two years before Evans and her husband found their way regularly into a worshiping community, an Episcopal church in Tennessee, where she was just dipping her toe in. But she never stopped. She never stopped lifting her eyes, as the psalm would say, searching, trying, struggling, wrestling. Remember, there was a day and age when it was far easier to stay in the church than it was to leave it. But now it's quite the opposite. It's much harder to stay in the church than it is to just walk away. No one is going to publicly shame you if you're at Pete's on a Sunday morning or you're spotted out on one of the beautiful hiking trails around here or if you're just still in your slippers watching Meet the Press. It's very easy to do that for all kinds of understandable reasons. Reasons less severe than the kind of deep sort of soulful struggles that Evans was having with the church of her upbringing. And yet somehow she stayed engaged and she continued to listen and she continued to to write and to touch people. But no longer did she write from the center She was no longer the girl who won the prizes in Sunday school for memorizing Bible verses, as she had been. She was no longer the one who won the prizes at the youth group weeks. I'm not sure why they give out prizes for that, but apparently they did. No, she was now operating firmly from the edge. And wouldn't you know, that's where so many interesting things happen. That's where spirit so often happens. I took a class on the book of Acts, and we studied the entire work strictly through the lens of spatial dynamics. So where did certain things happen in the scene? It was fascinating, and it was amazing how many big moments happened in the contested spaces, in the in-between spaces, not in the center of buildings, but in the uh, entryways, or in the courtyard outside, or on the road between two supposedly significant things. Think of Paul's conversion story. Or down by the river, outside the city gate, which is where we meet Lydia, another remarkable woman. This figure in the story today from Acts, the apostles come to the city, but they don't go in, they go outside the gate to the river because they suppose that's a place to pray. That's a remarkable thing. Somehow they know that's where God's presence can be felt. That's interesting to me. And there they find Lydia Lydia, who deals in purple cloth, so she's of some means, And she's known and described simply as a worshiper of God. And she's moved by them. Or you might say she's actually moved by that which is moving them. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, I've been told, it, it would be better named Acts of the Spirit because the Spirit is the primary agent in that book. And the Apostles are just the ones who try to go with the flow so to speak, and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. So maybe it's no surprise that they're trying to recapture it down by the river. River, remember, is something that moves. It heads to the ultimately the same place, but it shifts course over time. The water, of course, is always moving, so this becomes a powerful symbol. Well, today's story ends after uh, Lydia's family has been baptized. She, has, she invites the apostles into her home, and the last line is, and she prevailed upon us, which is also wonderful. And it means she succeeded in convincing them to come and stay with her. Now, that's an image for the life of faith, right? To have to, the apostles of Christ come dwell in your dwelling place.
It's a marvelous image for us. There are a lot of images in that story that are really powerful. If you want to spend some time with it, I encourage you later today to reread it and look for the images or when you get bored during the sermon, look through the story again and find an image that captures you. For me, it's this notion of the gate. And it leads me to ask, is our faith primarily one that's bound inside the city gate or is it one that's found at the river's edge? Play with those images just for a moment. Think of what a gate does in a city and a fortification. It draws clear lines. It, has, it decides what's inside and what's outside. It has firm structures. It's human-made. Contrast that to a river, which has been there far longer than we and will be there far longer than we. As emerged organically, the soil sort of shifts under your feet. Over time, it may drift. It may take on different shapes at different times, even though it's roughly going the same way. Now, there's a need for both of those things in the world, metaphorically speaking, for structure, for certainty, for protection, for, for clarity. But I think we know that, and perhaps we think that's all there is. There's also a need for this fluidity, for this unpredictability. Think, think about what happens inside each of those spaces, right? In the formal walls of structure is where wealth is accumulated and strategic plans are laid out. And a human-granted authority is passed from one to another in some orderly fashion. And that, too, has its place. But those walls and those structures, if they're to remain vital, once in a while have to be moved and they have to be formed and reformed. And they're best done so by what happens down at the river, if you follow. And what happens down at the river is baptism. What happens down the river is people enter into this flow and something comes over them and something comes down and says, this is my beloved and this one is in charge. There, it's not doled out with scarcity in mind. Grace is spilled recklessly on all. I've come to realize, even though I am a keeper of an institution, how desperately we need reporters from the edge. Poets, those who can write to us from those fringe spaces about what's going on and maybe what's dying and maybe what needs to be born. I think of Rachel Held Evans as one of those reporters from the edge. And so I would just like, as I was blessed a couple of weeks ago, to bless you with a few quotes that I liked in particular from Searching for Sunday. And she says this. Searching for Sunday is not the same thing as searching for a church. Sunday is a concept. It's a way of being. It's a conviction about resurrection in all its mystery. Not in all its certainty. Imagine if every church became a place, she says, where everyone is safe and no one is comfortable. Imagine if every church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create sanctuary. The gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. What makes the gospel offensive, she says, isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Cynicism is a powerful anesthetic we use to numb ourselves to pain, but which also by its nature numbs us to truth and joy. People bond more deeply over shared brokenness than they do over shared beliefs. This may be my favorite. Scripture doesn't speak of people who found God. Scripture speaks of people who walked with God. There is a difference, after all, 
between preaching success and preaching resurrection. Here she's referring to those who were helpful on her journey. They reminded me that Christianity isn't meant to simply be believed. It's meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, and enacted in the presence of other people. They reminded me that try as I may, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need a community. I need a church. And finally, the good news is that you are a beloved child of God. The bad news is you don't get to choose your siblings. <laughs> In the foreword to that book, Glennon Doyle Melton writes, Whenever I want to scare myself, I consider what would happen to the world if Rachel Held Evans stopped writing. Sometimes our fears come true. And so what do we do when such an important voice is taken? Well, I think about us, positioned not all that far from the water, in the place this community plays, hopefully, as an edge for people, maybe for exiles from their own spiritual homes. And I wonder what we will do likewise to kick off our shoes and let our toes feel the soil come up from beneath, to likewise open ourselves to prayer and to the Spirit meeting us in a surprising way, that we too might be open, that we might be willing to listen and be willing to speak in a way that prevails upon others who are in desperate need of hospitality to invite them in and to say, welcome home. Amen. When we get to the chorus of this song, it will likely sound familiar to you, and you are welcome to join in. I have closed my eyes, I have clenched my fist, I have shut my heart. But you have opened it I have wandered far away But you were already there With open arms With open arms I will never find me 
be seated. I want to highlight for you just a couple of things coming up here in the life of the church. This Tuesday evening is the Women of Westminster Annual Spring Dinner. If you have not yet RSVP'd, Susan Burkout's information is in the bulletin. She would appreciate your RSVP by today so they can make sure you have enough food. There is a new hiking group that is forming here at Westminster throughout the summer. They're going to go hiking on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month. So you're welcome to join in as many or as few of those as you want. There's also contact information there if you'd like to be a part of that. And finally, our annual church picnic is next week. So after the 10 o'clock worship, first of all, you're invited to come to worship in your picnic clothes. And then after worship, we'll head over to the Corte Madera Town Park. The Congregational Life Commission is providing all of the food. It's the easiest picnic you could ever attend. So just come, show up, eat. It's just a great time to be together as a church community. So I hope you'll join us for that next week. And then finally, Rob has an update for us from our renovation committee. Yes, thank you. Ron Meserve couldn't be here today. Ron is the chair of the renovation committee, but he wanted me to share this important update. Uh, the first thing to say is that there's been terrific progress being made. Uh, you haven't, if you just drive by, you don't see much. The, the story polls will be up soon. But all kinds of things have been happening from selecting a general contractor to solidifying the plan to have the solar panels, which will be on this sanctuary roof, thanks be to God, to firming up uh, more design plans and uh, permitting work and so on and so on. Part of that process, we've finally gotten to a firmer estimate of the cost. This has been a long time coming. Um, not surprisingly, since the time we dreamed of this project and discerned it needed to happen, uh, those costs have gone up. I know you're all terribly shocked to hear that. Um, the construction time, by the way, has gotten shorter, so that's a good thing. It will take less time to do it. Uh, the good news is that the estimates for the building cost are less than what we've already raised. That's the construction estimate. As you know, there's all kinds of costs that come on top of the construction estimate, which is the architecture fees, engineering fees, moving in storage, rentals, permitting, and so on and so forth. Those may well exceed $700,000. So that's quite a significant gap between what we've already raised and what we need to do the entire project. So the session, um, and this is sort of fresh off the presses, but the session and the renovation committee are... Um, discerning and considering how best to address that gap. And there are a number of options, of course. The first is to reduce the scope of the project. What could, what could be omitted, perhaps, or what could be deferred to a later date? Is there wisdom of that in that? Uh, two, what about converting the line of credit we secured for three-quarters of a million dollars into a loan, not with the understanding we would be paying that loan for 30 years, but that once the project is completed and we start to enjoy the fruits of the building, we could launch another campaign to retire whatever outstanding debt there is. Uh, incidentally, we learned when we were talking about this, that's how the sanctuary was completed. Uh, we raised a lot of money, not enough money. We built it and then later retired that debt. Um, we can make known to the congregation the opportunity for more giving along the way, or obviously some combination of those options above. Now, that important conversation continues among the elders. There were strong sentiments on Tuesday night uh, to eliminate the notion of reducing the scope altogether, to not even consider that. The thinking was, look, we discerned very carefully what we needed in order to do our ministry in this corner of the world. Let's not cut that short. However, the elders want to do this carefully. They don't want to belabor this forever, but they thought it was worth a few more weeks to study, to engage in conversation, to consider what other congregations do, to really look at our options, not hastily, but with care and with good stewardship in mind. One of the things they want to do is engage you. And by you, I mean the entire congregation, so including those who are usually sitting next to you but aren't this morning. And to that end, there will be an opportunity on June 16, after this 10 o'clock service, to come here, uh, here or in Finley, I'm not sure where we'll host it, and hear what else they can update you on. Um, 
you can ask your questions. You can uh, offer your opinions about directions. Um, and in the meantime, or if you can't be there, you are wholly encouraged to reach out to a member from the renovation committee. Their names are all on the board in the other building or an elder to um, engage in conversation there. Uh, the worst thing a church can do is not be transparent and not engage its people when it's doing something so important. The hope is that whatever we do, we will do it with broad support and at least with broad understanding so that people felt like they were brought into the picture at appropriate times. So again, June 16, be here or engage an elder or a renovation committee member in the meantime and continue to pray for this beloved community, which has such an important role to play on this committee. And in this community, excuse me. With that, in body or spirit, let us rise for our closing Friends, indeed, deep does call to deep. So may you, wherever you are in your walk, feel that surrounding presence of God. And as you go from here, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is mother, mother and father of us all, in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, be with you this day and every day. Amen. Amen.